Welcome to our Agile Tales, where we share the various successes and trials we have encountered as we navigate corporate levels and political waters to transform the business to be adaptable to this forever changing world. Today, we continue our conversation with Stephen Parry on changing the way you change. If you missed our previous episodes, we suggest you listen to them first. And now, a little bit of information about Stephen. He is the founder and senior partner at the Sense and Adapt Academy. They help create lean and agile enterprises through long-term, high-performing change teams that focus on customer centricity while building appealing work environments and culture. He is the author of Sense and Respond, The Journey to Customer Purpose, and is recognized as a world-class expert and multi-award winning transformation leader. Let's all welcome Stephen Perry to our Agile Tales. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Thank you for being in another episode of our Agile Tales. We'll continue our chat about changing the way we change. Thank you. All right. So for people who want to go for Sense and Adapt, how do they go about changing the culture to ensure that people are allowed to experiment on hypothesis? Because as you know, not all experiments will be successful. So how can we ensure people won't be dinged for failed experiments? If you don't have awareness at the top of what you're doing, and they might not be interested that you've got a solution because they've got a mindset in that they've got to come up with a solution. All right. That telco company I just told you about, the team presented their findings to the chief executive. And there was a middle team that told them, do not ask the big boss for more money to go and do this work. You don't do that. That's our job. And this young lady who was a process engineer, had been working on this team with other managers and things, had demonstrated where the savings were if we changed a few things, but we needed money to go on to the next phase and change that. And she was told, on no circumstances, ask for funding. That's our job and we've got to work that out. So anyway, after the presentation to the, the CEO, she put her hand up and she said, Sir, may, may I talk to you? I'm going to have, ask you a hypothetical question. If I asked you for four million for the next stage, hypothetically, would you give it to me? And she turned to the two people who told her, I'm not asking for it. I'm hypothetically asking for it. And his and the, the, the chief executive said, well, look, I will give you four million because I can see there's eight there. You give me the eight and I'll give you the four. Deal was done. Next stage was on its way because we had all of these middle chattering classes wanting to massage it. Instead of the people that knew the work, had the evidence, they were emboldened to do it. There were good controls around that and they could see it made perfect business sense because that's what people at the top want. It makes perfect business sense. And there was good governance Yes, there's freedom, but that doesn't mean they can just go off and do anything, that you have to have some constraints. Any systems thinker will tell you that. If there are no constraints, it just falls apart. So there are quite good governance systems where lots of people input and come to that consensus based on the evidence, and they build fail-safe mechanisms in to do that. In fact, they come up with two solutions, an A and a B test, and see how that goes. 
So this is the learning that most people do in Agile, in looking at testing. But people are doing this in designing and testing the organization at its component level, but by working together cross-functionally. One of the most important factors in that is everybody needs a lot more knowledge about what everybody else does. And their job is to make others successful. That's the key. It's collaboration for making the other successful. Wow, very impressive. You mentioned awareness at the top of what you're doing. So yes. in this case, what if middle management and senior management don't like what the staff is doing and the change along with it? Uh, especially how do you address, for example, if they lose control or in some cases they're losing their empire, so to speak? Well, you don't have an empire if you don't have control. And what the sense and adapt approach shows is how much control you currently have. And it's not much. I remember one senior manager saying, when I looked at all the data, I realized something important. And we were all waiting. So what was that? And he said, I spent all my life climbing to the top of this organization only so I can get control of it, only to find that when I grabbed hold of the steering wheel, it wasn't connected to anything. Oh, wow. And, and that's, that's what you do now. To get to that point, you can run locally and maybe across two or three adjacent silos. Say, look, this is really our span of control. Let's try these ideas. Because we've got fail-safe mechanisms and we're testing this, we're documenting it. We're learning how we do this by doing it. It's not just theory. Everything that I've said in this session and the earlier session, you don't go out and dump that on everybody. They'll go, oh, oh God, what's this? It isn't. It's just taking some very simple problems and working them through from a different perspective, mostly the purpose one, the redesign purpose and the measurement matrix. That just triggers an awful lot of conversations. Once people realize that the measures that they're meeting, which they're so good at, are not important, and they found out more ones that are more important that impact the customer, they'll drop the other ones because they want to do good work. So you experiment with that. And I'm not saying you throw out the other ones. I'm just saying the resource measurements and the productivity measurements are improved if you focus on better outcomes along the lines that I've talked but you're not looking at the resources because that is not the purpose. You're looking at the value you're creating. You create the right value first. Once you're creating the right value, then maybe if you want to do continuous improvement, you can optimize that or automate it. But at least you're delivering the right thing. You asked me a question a moment ago about not getting buy-in from the top or making way, and that is create a small prototype test it. It's the same with Agile. Just get a couple of teams, one team, pilot team. I like calling it a prototype, not a proof of concept, because I know it works. All the case studies are proofs of concept. What we want to do is to say, we're going to run a prototype to find out what sort of disconnects we are going to encounter in your organization. And they are different in every organization. Biggest thing that I do with people that I'm talking to is we take some of the early results and I sit them down and I said, okay, I want you to explain these results to the head of HR. Oh, I'm not going to do that. I said, no, we're going to train. What are HR interested in? List. Right. 
CFO list, the big guy at the top, heads of department. And these guys have been around the business, looking at other areas, and they know the results, but they're still looking at it from their own perspective. So they're fired up. They want to go and do that. Now, having uncovered what the financial officer is really interested in, you don't go up to him and say, hey, this work is really great. We're having a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah. And goes, all right. The HR person, you don't go in there and start saying, oh, look, this is great. Our teamwork is up better. We're getting better measurement, better collaboration. The HR might say, yes, okay, that's really good because you're talking about things they're interested. So you have to learn how to talk to other people outside your box. And it is a skill. It is a very easy, learnable skill. Vitally important, you have to learn the language of the people you're talking. This is one of my biggest beefs with Agile. They talk to business people using Agile. You're not going to get that. You won't get buy-in. It's because you talk Agile to them. You need to talk about business. And don't take them to me too, which means everybody else is doing it. Wow. Yep. I definitely agree with that approach. Let's revisit company purposes. A lot of companies' purposes are midterm at best, and I would dare say short-term in most instances. However, if I understand how common purpose is done, these are long-term visions. Is that right? So how would you suggest companies change their thinking from short or midterm to long-term visions? My answer to that, if you haven't done it, then you better hurry up and do it because you don't have a long-term. Got it. Got it. So what are the common approaches or policies or processes that inhibit people who may be naturally adaptive? Have you encountered these? Listen, we didn't get this far of climbing down out of the trees and going across the savannas to get to here without a touch of adaptability. It's innate, all right? The fact that you are alive today means your people, your ancestors have all adapted. It would be a shame if your line died out now because there are centuries and generations of people that have brought you on the planet. The innate ability in organizations is often thought about once the organization is set up. It's as if it's an add-on, but you've already imprisoned the adaptability, the natural inquisitiveness, the natural way to collaborate on big issues, not the myriad of little things, and the big issues. Everybody can help, but if you put them into boxes, you think that's the best place for them, right? We've got to not just think outside the box, everybody's got to be working outside the box. That's how you get to know everybody else. That's where the juices of ingenuity come from. There's a book which I mentioned in the seminar, and this was the Douglas McGregor 60s classic called The Human Side of Enterprise. But that's not the book I'm recommending. I'm recommending this book which has been updated and annotated for our modern world by Joel Kushner Gershenfeld, who was the senior chief scientific officer at MIT. He's now the dean of a university. And what he pointed out to me on this book, he said, Stephen, the thing about the title is it says, the human side of enterprise. This is a psychology of human enterprise, theory X and theory Y. It's a psychology book. But it's not the human side of the enterprise, the business. 
It's humans, the enterprise of humans. And if you release that enterprising skill, you will release and realize the potential of your business. And that's how your ancestors survived and how you are going to survive for the next generation. Human enterprise is a psychological skill and we all have it to a greater or lesser degree. But as social working, self-organization around the right thing with the right structures, you get adaptability at, at an organizational level. So human enterprise creates the business enterprise of adaptability. So I'm wondering if you can give us some examples of what are some of the corporate policies and processes that actually inhibit people's natural adaptive nature? The design of the organization, the measurement system, for instance, the reward recognition, and I know you've been writing about this lately, but they fit a mental model that the managers and leaders have about how to design, build, and operate. If you have a traditional organization, the rewards, you will be rewarding those siloed measurements, which in the bottom left-hand quadrant. And that doesn't release the potential because that's all about maximizing the resources instead of maximizing the value. So everything, why organizations are difficult to change is because everything is locked in step. Because in traditional organizations, they're designed to control with this locus being on control. And this is what McGregor talks about, theory X, which means we do not trust these people. Decision-making is separate. Planning is separate. And we have suggestion schemes for those people because they're not bright enough to fix the business problems. Why well, you've created that way. You've dumbed it down. So you have to look at the na very nature of the organization to see how what the best way to deconstruct that at the same time building something. So you have two curves. You have the traditional organization on the one curve, which is curving down. And then you have the new organization, which is curving up. And you have to manage that transition. It's not a big bang. Wow, this is definitely a very different approach. I think I need some time to think about it. And I have actually many more questions. If you really want to know about Theory X and Theory Y, this new human side of enterprise by Douglas McGregor, the annotated version will give you everything that you want to know and a lot more. And most of the work in Sense and Adapt comes from this book, by Joe, because he's annotated, he's just a brilliant writer and intellectual and practitioner and his learning organizational systems. You put these together and then you put that with what was sense and adapt, sense and respond, sense and adapt. This is how to create and in integrate the other two. And that's what I've been working on for my 25 years. All I've had is I've had more chances to fail than anybody else as the song goes. But we've got to rethink organizations. Thank you, Stephen. No. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. So I think we need to wrap this up. Hopefully, we can get you back to continue our discussion on change the way we change, since we still have a bunch of other questions. Yes. I think the one thing I would say, if you want to know more about this, is link to me on LinkedIn and message me. 
because there's more than one way to skin a cat. The entry point on change is different every time because all the organizations appear to have the same problem, but they have similar symptoms, but the causes are very different. So helping identifying what is giving rise to the issue is an important point because when you then start thinking about, well, I want to introduce a prototype, you focus that prototype on fixing some chronic problem something they haven't fixed before. You don't come in with the express purpose of creating an adaptive organization. It is problem and issues led, okay? And it has to be because the business has to have something back. Customers have to have something back and they all will. But you start it slowly on those issues that you can make a mark. Then you'll get the chief executive officer saying, you give me 8 million, which I can see on the graph there, and I'll give you the 4 million that you asked. That's how you do it. Nice. You have it, folks. That's the way if you want to get started with this work. Thank you so much, Stephen. That's it for our episode. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Join us next time as we continue our conversation with Stephen Perry on changing the way you change.